Welcome to Ashamed the Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's, uh, I'm going to say, Young Pope Season 2 of a TV show, A Game of Thrones. Uh, my name is Doug. With me, as always, is Brian. Brian, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you, Douglas? Pretty good. Uh, have you seen any of HBO's other original content in a while? Uh, I rewatched the episode of Kenny Powers not too long ago. Oh, well, that's great. I'm talking about new yeah. stuff. I'm talking about like the their new shit. No, I, I really haven't. Yeah, it's awful. I, I, I mean, we always we always joke about what was the the one the um, uh, vinyl? vinyl. Yeah, I mean, who, yes. Who's a fan of that? I did. I was not going to give that a shot. Not even. And usually, I don't watch these uh, long TV shows like this until uh, after I hear it's really good. And the only one I have done that without, or have watched without making sure it was good, or at least hearing uh, positive uh, reviews of, was uh, Westworld, which is a turd sandwich. Yeah, it's like you know, you don't want to get into a long Russian novel like uh, the the brothers uh, Karamazov without somebody saying it's fucking awesome. Uh, yeah, because it's just Agreed. it's just a slog at that point. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, but we're not talking about shitty HBO shows. We're talking about a pretty good HBO show. Sometimes we have problems with it, but it's called a Game of Thrones, and we're talking about season four, episode six, "The Laws of Gods and Men." What'd you think? Uh, uneven. I think uh, the show invention stuff is a lot of a fair amount of it in this episode that I didn't really care for some kind of silly stuff but then the trial I thought was very good um so kind of a mixed bag on this one for me I, I feel the same way I feel that uh Dinklage really pulled it out with his performance at the end yes I liked Oberon the whole time he was on screen uh he did he's not over the top or anything he's just like laid back and he does a good job with the character so just great acting I feel saved it but yeah you're absolutely right I'm glad you said it before I did but the you know this one show invention uh, garbage. It's just it, these people are. I mean, they are bringing this to the screen. It is one of the most successful shows of all time. But Jesus Christ, when they put pen to paper, it's just not good. No, and a lot of the show invention. Thing, I mean, some of it has worked well where they've been able to bring characters together that didn't necessarily meet in the, the books or. Or uh, there's been other scenes where they've kind of elaborated on interesting parts, but it seems like recently. The show invention has just been kind of uh, dumb and kind of pointless, and I think that was a fair amount of it in this episode. Yeah, and uh, and at least in this episode, I think it betrays the characters to a certain extent. So, not yeah. not not a big fan. Um, but let's jump right in, okay? All right. Uh, so we got uh, Stannis and Davos rolling into Bravos, uh, going right between the Titans' legs um, to the Iron Bank. Uh, they uh, make Stannis wait for a while, which pisses him off. Eventually, they're seen by three dudes. Representatives of the Iron Bank who show up and they sit in three tall thrones uh, looking chairs, but uh, Stannis is forced to sit on a very low bench, which I'm sure pisses him off even more. Um, the Iron Bank immediately calls into question Stannis's claim to the throne. Um, you know, they rehash how his brother Robert spent a whole bunch of money and is a reason why the realm is in debt to the Iron Bank in the first place. Uh, and they also ask about Stannis's remaining forces and the likelihood he is to retake the throne. Um, basically they come to the conclusion that, uh, he doesn't stand a fucking chance. Uh, so they dismiss him rudely. Uh, and Stannis is, you know, not going to stand for this shit. So he just leaves. Uh, but Davos stops and he goes into coach Davos mode. Uh, he gives an impassioned speech about the virtues of Stannis, um, and how he's a great guy. He will pay them back. And also, uh, practically speaking, it's the Iron Bank's best chance to get their money back since all the Lannisters are either inept or corrupt or 
just duplicitous. Um, so later, uh, we see Salador Sand. Uh, well, in, let's stop, let's stop okay. there. I've got a couple things to to say. So I don't think that they necessarily are prepared to black or back Stannis uh, because the, the the Lannisters are duplicitous or anything. I think it's because they know that the patriarch Tywin uh, is running the show, and once he's gone, it's just going to go downhill very quickly. And I mean, from the Iron Bank's perspective, you would think that they already know that it's going downhill because Tywin Lannister certainly was known throughout the lands as one of the richest people in the world. Now he's in debt, debt, a shit ton of money to them, and he's got no way ostensibly of paying it back. And it's, I think the implication is it's past due. So, I mean, he's put the Lannisters in a very bad position in terms of the Iron Bank. And God help the uh, Lannisters if he dies, because what happens next? So, well, um, well, yeah, I, I, so I will agree with you. Uh, but I was, I guess, alluding to what will happen when Tywin goes as well, because, you know, there's a boy king. The mother's crazy. This Kingslayer, you know, yeah. kills kings. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of that going on. But um, uh, I also want to point out that um, in the book, uh, the Iron Bank actually sought uh, Stannis out because the Iron yes. Bank knew that this was going on. Plus, uh, I think we still don't know about the finances of Tywin. Um, you know, we know that the this is a show invention, but the Lannisters are broke. So I guess Tywin's plan to not be broke anymore is to somehow use his political power uh, by controlling the throne to make him rich again. But, Take money from the Tyrells? I, I don't know. Right. That is not made obvious yeah. to us. So I feel like even bringing up the fact that they are uh, in in debt uh, is a problem. I don't like it. Right. And I think it's even, it is a better story if the Iron Bank seats out. Stannis. I mean, I think that's a better story, but then it wouldn't allow Davos to do the uh, Coach Davos routine. Yeah, but do we need Co- Coach Davos again? We already like Coach no, Davos. No, no, I'm not, I'm not saying that we I need know, it. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. I, that's probably what the, the writers are saying. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. So I'm not yeah. calling to question yours. I'm calling into question their decision-making by having Coach Davos be the coach who rallies the team to a Hail Mary, which is basically what happens. With this impassioned speech, we find out in the next scene he's able to, you know, talk his way into i guess what's equivalent of millions of dollars worth of a loan no and no and this is this i read uh, something from the uh, writer of this episode the implication is not that suddenly the iron bank is reversed uh who it's backing it has simply provided money to stannis enough to get his army off the ground as a way to kind of diversify their portfolio so i mean it came well, regardless the they're, they're getting the loan they were going to leave with nothing before davos yes. spoke up Yes, but it's not like they just opened up the coffers. I mean, th- I think the show made it seem more like he suddenly Stannis was, was well funded, which uh, apparently was not the intention of the writer. Instead, it was just he gave him enough money to get his four thousand soldiers off the ground, but he didn't give they didn't give him enough money to go hire a, a mercenaries or anything along those lines. It might have actually given him a shot to well, win. Who, the, uh, who knows? Once again, all I have is yeah. the book to compare to compare to, and they did give him quite a large sum in the book. They are hedging their bets obviously yes. you know the bank always the it's like the house when you go to a casino the house is always going to win like one or two idiots might uh end with a profit but the majority of people are going to lose regardless they're betting on either way they're you know yes. if the lannisters win they'll the harp on them and eventually get repaid i guess and if stannis wins they'll definitely get repaid and they haven't invested nearly as much in stannis as they have in the lannisters yes or mm-hmm. the baratheons or the crown all right, so going right. on, so uh, Salad Bar Sand is in a uh, hot tub with two prostitutes telling jokes about poo-poo. 
Uh, when Davos comes in and surprises him by being there, number one, and not being locked up, Davos throws uh, his newly acquired money at uh, Saladar and tells him that they leave tomorrow for Westeros. Um, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add. Just, I, uh, yeah. My only thing is, is, is Salad Bar a good investment? I don't know. I, I don't. I don't really know. I guess uh, they failed on the black the Blackwater attack. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really know. I guess they. I mean, I think that Davos wouldn't go and pick some chump. You yeah, know, I, but I don't. I agree with you, but at the same time, I wish we could have seen some of um, Salad Bar's contribution. I don't know. We don't, yeah. we don't really get get the full scope of what um, what he means to uh, the cause, as it were. But it does appear uh, like he's throwing around yeah. money. He's just like casually bringing this money into um, into this brothel or wherever it is. Yeah. Well, I think Salad Bar has the ships to transport uh, Stannis's people. I think that's the the primary reason he's involved in the thing. Yeah, I I, I know that, but I, I you know all the ships. I don't. I mean, I, it's just <laughs> okay. I don't know. I want to know <laughs> details. Okay. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. No, you don't. You're just being a no, jerk. I don't. Yeah. I'm just trying to move on. Yep. Okay. okay. So moving on. <laughs> Next, we have a uh, montage uh, and a voiceover. Yara reading a letter while she's on a boat, and Theon uh, has gross sex. Uh, Yara gives us an over uh, a voiceover speech about how they must say Theon, otherwise people will no longer be afraid of the Ironborn. Yara and her gang begin infiltrating the apparently the world's worst defended castle. Uh, some chump walking around directs Yara to the kennel where Theon is staying. Yara finds Theon and attempts to save Theon, but he refuses, saying that he's reek and he thinks that the rescue is a trick. Uh, they are pulling out uh, Theon from uh, Yara and the gang are pulling out Theon from the kennel when suddenly a scratched up, unclad, Ramsay arrives with soldiers and a battle ensues. Uh, the, at, at the same time, Theon scampers back into his cage. Um, it's, I guess it becomes apparent. I mean, this is not clear. And we'll talk about this, but I guess, uh, the, uh, the, uh, Ironborn are winning the battle in the kennel, I think. So then, uh, Ramsey goes to release the hounds and there's an, a stupid cut to Yara and her crew somehow eluding the hounds. They're outside <laughs> fleeing and getting on the boat. And Yara says that Theon is dead. What the fuck? Uh, yeah, this is this is just awful. I can only say yes. the best thing I can say about this is at least it's concise and over and done with. Yeah, I, it just uh, the logistics of all of this scene make no sense whatsoever. It's a dumb show invention. I think in the books, Yara thinks that Theon is actually dead the whole time. Yeah, uh, and also it's like a lot of scenes and a lot of build up for nothing, which the the writer of this episode kind of took pride in. Um. But this is not like in uh, like where there was a lot of buildup for say Rob Stark to become the king, where it's actually a shocking loss. This is just kind of dumb, and I don't really care about it. Yeah, it's inconsequential. Nothing really changes. Yes. It, does absolutely. anybody learn from this? No. Like even, yeah. even Yara doesn't learn from this because she still she's reluctant about him later, but she still accepts him when they finally get back together in season six or whatever we're on now. Yeah, and I can overlook some of like the preposterous logistics of these scenes. This one is just so far beyond the pale. Um, I mean, they're releasing the hounds, and you hear that the hounds in the background, and all of a sudden Yara just runs out. Yeah, and like there's no dog. I mean, what what even is that? And why is Theon rushing in there without any armor? I mean, oh Ramsay, yeah, 
Yeah, Ramsey. Yeah, yeah that's so stupid. I, I wrote a couple things. So the first thing I wrote is, you know, Yara's a, a rough and tumble girl who can lead hardened killers into battle halfway around the fucking world to take a castle, murder people ruthlessly, but she is mature enough to respect her brother's wishes when he says, no, I don't want to leave. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like, at one point, that Ramsey gets in between her and Theon, but at that point, they sh- it should have just been Ram- Theon to come with a, no, no, knock him out. That's yeah. it. Or take him by force. Let's face it, he has had pieces of skin removed and he's being starved, so... It's kind of like, you know, if you had to pick up your grandma and, like, just carry her around. Like, it's... Theon would not be able to push these people up. It's just so fucking dumb. Uh, yeah. yeah. Ramsey is... Comes in half-naked, fresh from lovemaking. Uh, so I guess he... You know, like a cat, he's jumping around, like, you know, hip-hopping. Um, and even though he doesn't Wait, have what? a... What? Have you ever seen a cat get done fucking and they run around and like a, like maniacs and jump around? It's like when a, ba- a dog gets done with a bath. You give your dog's bath, right? Yes, we do. And when they're done, do they just run around like fucking maniacs? They do. There you yes. go. So there you go. That's caught- better than the cat humping one. Well, I don't own a cat. I just seen it in the, you know, like, yeah, I <laughs> those guess. movies you watch late <laughs> at night. Yes, uh, the Lifetime movies where the girl has a cat. Your family's asleep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> no, the only time I see cats are when they when it's on step on porn or whatever it's called, where they step on animals. Oh, God. No. Yeah, that's just no. Talk- I'm just joking. That is horrible. Yes. I would never joke about that. Let's. This whole podcast. Anyway, uh, but yeah, uh, they don't. Ramsey goes in there without a shirt on, or a helmet, or a shield, or armor, and he's facing guys that have all of those things that are supposedly the Iron Islands' twenty best killers. Oh yeah, how many good men was this? Yeah, exactly. What, what's the original number from uh, the show? Was it fifty? No, I think it's something like twelve or twenty. I can't remember. Ten good men. Ten good men. That's probably yes. it. But anyway, these guys are the the hardest killers in the Iron Islands, and they can't take on Ramsey. Um, yeah, it's just like you know, the Castle Guard is probably a bunch of rubes. I doubt the best fighters, right? Because the, the best castle. fighters are with uh, the Bolton army who can't get north. Yeah. So uh, this is Absolutely. just fucking stupid. Fuck this show is what I wrote here on the side. Yes. Okay, so moving on. Uh, Ramsey does tell Theon afterwards he wants to reward him for him being loyal. Uh, and his reward is a bath. Yay, splish splash. Uh, Theon strips and is very cautious. Uh, we see he has scars beyond count all over his body, uh, but he does reluctantly get in the tub, sensing a trap, waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, but Ramsey is nice and proceeds to clean him, uh, asks if Theon loves him. He says, of course. He says, okay, well, then you'll do me a favor. I need you to do something nice for me. I need you to pretend to be somebody else in order to take a castle. The person... Dion Greyjoy. Bum, bum, bum. Da, da, da. Yeah. Dramatic chipmunk. Um, yeah, I, I hated this scene as well. Uh, Ramsley creepily instructing Reed to disrobe and then smiling when he dropped his trowel. Uh, just kind of the threat of something sordid happening throughout the entire scene. The creepy sponge bath. I mean, I, I just. I, yeah, it's one like it. it's, it's you know, There was a weird sexual. Uh, well, I mean, obviously, because Dion was naked. But this yes. just it just makes yeah, it feels gross, doesn't it? Yeah, and I don't I, I don't really understand the point of it. He could have just shown up and had Reek be pretend to be Theon. You know, that yeah. could have been accomplished in like a quick speech prior to, to uh Theon doing it in the later episodes. So I don't know what this was other than these fucking writers are are in love with uh the idea of Reek. Um it's just and and Ramsey. I think it's Ramsey mostly. And it's yeah. it, it's their it's their BDSM uh, like whatever 
uh, kinks coming out. Gross. Yes. And, you know, the uh, the actual this wasn't written about by D&D, but the writer of the episode of this specific episode wanted to show the dong stump. Uh, but apparently D&D nixed it. Yeah. Why would that be like I, I kind of want confirmation of the, the dong stump uh, because we don't really get it in the books. Uh, <laughs> Leon never says, oh, I miss my dick. Uh, and it's, it's never like on screen that his dick has been removed. I mean, we have no real reason to believe it isn't, but just like, you know, when, because everything that happens with George R. R. Martin, if he doesn't show it on the page, there's always right. a chance that person can be alive, which is what my problem with Stannis was with Brienne. I should have shown Brienne kill Stannis. Uh, yeah, just, just show it. Why, why? Plus this, the gross vile shit that this show shows on a regular basis. Why would this be beyond, uh, that, uh, that, that would have been gross standards. I think that would have been a lot grosser. What, uh, a stump? Yeah. Well, not like a close-up. You don't have to get right up front and center. Just like across oh. the like across the way, just a flash of a stump. So you would have to go, wait like a minute, a, wait a minute. A quick zoom in? <laughs> yeah, like so you have to pause your DVR and like go, honey, come here. Is that a yeah. dick stump? <laughs> Listen, I've seen a lot of dick stumps in my time. <laughs> I'm just saying, we get, we get a... We get a close-up of a warty dick in two seasons, and you want to tell me that a dick stump, uh, you know, from at least fifteen feet away, would be beyond uh, good taste for these guys? I don't think so. I I, I think that uh, an actual dong, even even well, even if it's warty, is not as bad as a dick stump. But we should stop using the phrase "dick stump" and move on. Yeah, it's gonna offend that one guy. Sorry, <laughs> it's making me ill. Uh, so we see a farmer tending to his goats when suddenly a dragon appears and burdenates his goat and takes it away. Transitions to Danny in a throne room, and the same goat herder arrives to tell Danny about losing his goat. Danny promised to give him money to make up for the loss. It's supposed to make her look just and uh, magnanimous, but it also sets up a later scene uh, where a uh, kid, and not kid as in a, a baby goat, is fried. What's the difference? Of- Episodes later, yeah, you're 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 real edgy there, Doug. Um, so next we see uh, Hisdar. I forget how to say his name exactly. Hisdar Zolorak. You had Hisdar, right? Good job. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Former slave master. Uh, he tells Danny how his father helped restore the pyramid or some bullshit. Uh, it turns out his father was crucified, um, and uh, as part of the payback for the crucified children. But his father actually opposed the children's crucifixion. Uh, his daughter begs to – they kind of have a little discussion about what's right and wrong and repaying crimes with crimes, etc. Heard that story before. Uh, his daughter wants to take the slave masters down and uh, bury them so that they may have some peace in the afterlife. Danny finally agrees to it, and Danny, uh, being frustrated, asks how many of these uh, – these chumps she has to see for the remainder of the day. And apparently she has 212 additional uh, supplicants waiting to meet with her that day. So a lot of this is parts from the book. A lot of this is just made up. Uh, primarily mm. his daughter's uh, disposition and him being a sympathetic character that cares about his dad. In the book, he doesn't give a fuck about his dad. We don't even know his dad was crucified. He's just one of the like head honchos here. He wants to marry Danny and he wants to reopen the fighting pits from the beginning. And he has very practical uh, arguments for why it's a good thing economically, you know, uh, spiritually, uh, you know, it'd be good for morale, all these things. But, you know, he's not a sympathetic character really at all. He's just transparently self-interested. Uh, plus, I yeah, I hate it when they introduce these like, you know, 
uh, supposed moral supposed moral quandaries when there there isn't much of a quandary here at all. Uh, his father was, you know, I guess you know one of the head honchos of Marine, and he was against the crucifixion of children. But did he do anything to stop it, or did he leave the council? No. So I feel like he is uh, culpable. It's like yeah, you know, he's still a, he's still a slave master. Well, yeah, even yeah, even if he <laughs> correct. So even if he. <laughs> He's one of the good slave masters. Though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's no, a good no. point. He's one of the he's one of the, the Nazis that was nice. But yeah, that's what I mean. Let's so let's use that. So like you know you know it's the guy who's like you know I was the number three guy in the Nazi party and I was against uh, you know uh, the Holocaust. But you know what? I was overvoted, so I had to go yeah. along. Fuck you. That's not a good excuse. Fuck his dar's dad. Leave him up. Uh, and I would kill his dar <laughs> too, just to set an example. But that's just me. Yeah. For questioning my my authority, but you know I'm not the mother of dragons. So, um, but yeah, I I don't know. This is you know once again they're they're setting up these like, you know, this isn't a real in depth character. It's just you know somebody who serves a purpose. I think to make Danny question her her ruling style and how you know maybe she should be a little nicer, or that there's repercussions for her actions. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This Hisdar guy, he obviously has some role later in the, the series, um, but he he felt like one of the characters, uh, like least fleshed out of out of all the characters in the show. I never like really understood what his motivation was. Maybe because I didn't give a shit about him. Yeah. Um, well, there's but, no uh, reason to give a shit about him. He's he has yeah. no like, yeah, he doesn't have character flaws. He's just not well developed. Yes, yeah, and so the, this other what uh, this scene also made me question: what is kind of the status of everybody in this city? Because it's supposed to be, I guess, a free city now, but I mean, he's still walking around in slave master clothes, and you know, we see in later scenes, um, you know, where especially in the uh, when they reopen in the fighting pit, that that everybody is still dressed like slave yeah. versus slave masters. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, Danny said she was going to drain the swamp and then guess what? She's in power. Nothing really changes. Uh, it's the same. No, it's yeah. like meet the same boss. And I'm joking about this, but it's meet the same boss. Same as the old boss. Nothing really changes in the books either. Um, you know, they don't call it slavery anymore, but still these people are hired back by the same people they were serving before only for, you know, shitty fucking wages. Yeah. So, gotcha. so like nothing has really changed. Like, and then like, you know, there in the book it's elaborate where this, you know, this guy who's a uh, a slave but a teacher, uh, you know, says, you know, when I was a slave, I had a feather bed and I was given three square meals a day and I was uh, given a position of, you know, authority and and uh, you know I had some self worth. Now I don't do anything. I beg on the street. Uh, so, you know, it just, it muddies the water. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a weird, it's just something that wouldn't translate well to TV. Like all Danny's time in Marine that I hated reading about in the books. And I hope you did too. I don't know if you did. Yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, it, but at least there's, you know, po- political intrigue on its own and how to rule and all these problems, you know, you know, you, it's like pulling a thread of a, a sweater just keeps unraveling and you're trying to keep it together. Uh, so I, I kind of appreciate it from that sense, but it wasn't fun to read, and it definitely isn't fun on the goddamn screen here. No, it's not. And it just it doesn't make a lot of sense. But we're going to be so. here for another fucking two seasons, I think? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because she just left at the end of season six. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yikes. Fun. 
Okay. All right, so where to next, Doug? Okay, so let's see. Uh, Oberon is complaining about having to wake up before noon in order to attend a goddamn small council meeting. Um, they hear reports that um, Sandor is out uh, killing people in the Riverlands, uh, and they put a bounty on his head. Then Vari tells them about Danny's conquest and subsequent rule of Marine. Cersei is very dismissive the entire time. Uh, doesn't take this threat seriously, but everyone else seems to. Uh, they ask about Jorah, and Vari says he's no longer spying, spying for uh, the crown. Seems like he's switched loyalties, uh, which is good, I guess. They learn that Barristan is now with Danny, uh, and once again, Cersei thinks it's no de- big deal, but uh, you know, T- uh, Tywin recognizes it as a dumb move, and man. Are these people going to be sorry when they find out how valuable Barrison's going to be later? Oh, wait. He's not at all. <laughs> That's a little aside. Uh, going on with the summary, Tywin asks if Varys can get a spy child inside a Marine, and Varys says no problem. Uh, and then asks for... Uh, pen spy kids. And then yeah, asks, spy kids. Right. Spy kids. And then asks for pen and paper. So what do you think he's going to write? And we probably find out, but I've totally forgotten. Uh, I don't recall either, but I did love how he sent Mace to fetch his pen and paper. <laughs> be a good man and go get my pen yeah, and paper. Yeah, sometime else he's like, yeah, I think Oberyn was like, do I get to be Master of Ships? And Mace is like, it's already been decided that I'm going to be ma- master, master of Ships. I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, Mace is awesome. and Mace is like excited to go get his pen and paper. Yep. Uh, and that that's like the, what he has to add to the small council is he can fetch things for Tywin. <laughs> so... Um, I don't know who he's writing to. I'm the, I I really don't have a good clue on that one. I if I had to guess, uh, I would say it's um, it's to sell out Jorah, like either a letter to Barrison or Danny, letting her know about okay. Barrison's betrayal, which makes sense. And it comes out later. I think in the books it comes out because Barrison spoke up, uh, regardless of a prompting from Tywin. I think, but in here uh, it might have been, um, you know. Uh, it might be. It might just be because Tywin sent a letter and was just like, "I'm going to cause chaos." Yeah, I, I mean that would be a good explanation. I think, you know, I I, I don't think that they do a good uh, job of kind of telling you how what a big deal uh, the the uh, uh, Selmy is joining the the other side and how foolish it made Cersei look once again because Selmy lends. In, I mean, he's a legend. Uh, he right. lends instant credibility by joining. Danny, um, it's almost like if Michael Jordan went to another team, suddenly that team is a championship contender. Yeah, you know? but I will say it's like if Michael Jordan went to another team in Czechoslovakia, it's not a big deal until he brings that Czechoslovakian team back to America, uh, where it would be really what. So I think that Bearson will be more of a help um, because of his legend status back in Westeros. I'm sure people might know yeah. of him in in Essos or wherever the fuck they are now. But yes. I think he definitely lends credibility uh, when she finally comes back to Westeros. Yeah, it's also I think it also not only just from a tactical and battle standpoint, but also from a sense of justice as well. I mean, it, the dismissal of Selmy was just just another error by by the Lannisters and makes them look stupid and foolish. I would think in front of the other. Well, it's uh, primarily Cersei endless. too. You know, yes. I think this was all and Cersei's that's, doing. That's another good point. Is that. This is just another failure of Cersei. Cersei attempted to exert her power through Joffrey, I, I guess. Uh, that's why I think the assumption is. Yeah. And she completely screwed it up, which 
we've talked about uh, many of the Cersei's follies as we've gone. And even the in the small council meeting, she's the one that's constantly dismissing Danny, saying she's got baby dragons, no big deal. Yeah, uh, you know, fuck Barrison, sell me, he's old. You know, mm-hmm. everything exactly. she says is basically flat out wrong, which is you know a shortcut for saying Cersei's dumb and not to be trusted. Um, I yeah. guess that's fine though. I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. Where do we go next? Well, next we go to uh, Varys, and he's staring at the Iron Throne. Uh, suddenly, Oberon strolls in. They discuss the nature of Varys being called Lord. Uh, apparently, Varys, because he is not from royalty, does not have to be called Lord, yet everyone does, uh, presumably in recognition of his power. Varys asks Oberon uh, how he got to know of the Unsullied. Uh, apparently Oberon is a bit of a globetrotter and has used his position as a prince to his advantage to see the world. There's a lot more backstory in the books uh, in terms of Oberon. I think he killed somebody he wasn't supposed to and then was actually exiled, but everybody kind of phrases it as a – or calls it a kind of a trip around the world because you don't, you can't really exile a prince. Uh, anyways, Oberon uh, knows Varys is from Essos. He picks up on uh, a an accent that Varys no longer has. And asks for Varys' story, but Varys is not uh, very open about his past and kind of deflects that question. Oberon apparently wants to get Varys in a, an orgy with him in Ilaria. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guess. Which is, what the fuck? Um, so uh, Oberon asks whether, uh, or tells Varys that he has a lot of boys. Apparently his gaydar is off. Uh, then it suggests girls, and then... Uh, then Varys more or less tells him that he is not interested in anyone. He's uh, asexual, and Varys continues on to say that the absence of desire leaves him open to other pursuits, which he intimates is chasing the crown by looking at the Iron Throne after making that statement. Okay, yeah. Uh, so let me give you the backstory on Oberyn. So Oberyn, uh, during a tournament, you know, we've had tourneys before. They call them tourneys, not tournaments for whatever reason. George R. R. Martin being a clever writer. Um, <laughs> during the joust, Oberyn um, kicked, either basically beat Mace Tyrell's son, who doesn't exist in the show. And he either stabbed the horse or somehow beat the guy in the joust and, and the guy ended up being crippled. So basically, Oberyn unintentionally or maybe intentionally, who knows, uh, crippled the heir to Highgarden. Once again, this isn't in the show, so not a big deal. So that's why he was exiled for a while. Gotcha. And okay. once again, this you know exasper- exacerbates the tensions between uh, the Tyrells and the Martells. Gotcha. That okay. makes sense. And actually, I'm sorry, Doug. I, the, one thing I wanted to discuss about the prior scene I'd written down, but I forgot to ask you. So the uh, Sandor, it's interesting that Sandor Clegane is brought up at that small council meeting. And I guess the letter is implied to to let everyone know that Sandor has run amok, or at least I think that's the, what they're trying to portray. But I think that we know that uh, Sandor is probably under the control of Clegane still. or I'm sorry, it's still under the control of Tywin Lannister. Um Wait, am I mixing up Clegane's? Yeah, you so are. Going, yeah, yeah. They were yeah, they were mentioning the guy with it. Arya, the Hound. Yes, yes, yes. They were. I, you know what? Yeah, I'm off. I thought that was uh, that was referring to um, 
You know, you know what? That's a good uh, that's a good call because I was confused when I first saw it too because they said like Sandor Clegane or they said yeah they use the last name just call him the Hound. We have the Hound. We have the Mountain. Yeah. Uh, yes, they are brothers, but I feel like unless you're going to point out their brothers on the show, if I was going to write, I would not say their last name because it would just confuse people. Which say the Hound me. or the Mountain? Yep. Because it would have been interesting uh, in terms of bringing that up in the. Um and I know I'm speculating on something that wasn't on the screen. That, that if that was brought up in a meeting with Oberon, when we know what Oberon, if he yeah, has and a they even showed about, they showed you know, Oberon's face. So they yeah. they like made you. They, so yeah, so they. I don't know what the fuck that was about. Is that intentional yeah. or is that just bad uh, direction? Where they mention a Clegane, they mention the name Clegane, and they show Oberon, who definitely wants to kill the Mountain Gregor Clegane. Uh, but they said Sandor, who uh, presumably Oberyn doesn't have a beef with. Besides, it's somebody who's a family member of Gregor who he wants to kill. So maybe he wants to cause him harm, too. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry I brought it back. To no, no, no. I, I think I think. Right, it, but yeah, that was that's fine. And also, I don't I don't get this whole Varys as a like a, a monk who's without desire you know, he can say he's without desire because he's pursuing the throne, but it makes more sense that he's without desire because his cock and balls were removed before he became sexually mature, like before puberty. So uh, mm-hmm. that makes more sense that he's asexual. Number two, is he really after the Iron Throne or is he just um, trying to draw over and off of his scent? Because I feel like it's I, just weird. Yeah. You know, I, I, well, what we know, Littlefinger wants the throne. He said it like two, two or three times at this point. But before this, Varys has just said he wants what's good for the realm. Yes, and 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 in the show, it seems like that is actually the case. In the book, there's a lot of questions about that, and uh, what it actually is is end goal. And there's all the whole other conspiracy with the other dude. I mean, there's a whole lot of a lot to that. But here, I don't even know why. I mean, I guess the only thing that would make sense is that he's attempting to to throw Oberon off his trail. But what is Varys actually hiding? I mean, what trail does Oberon need to be thrown off of? I, I don't know what point this scene served at all besides further character development for mainly Oberon. I guess somewhat for Varys. But it's another one of these scenes where there's character development, but nothing of consequence happens, which I fucking hate. Yeah, I, and I just don't get it. It almost seems like the show just introducing uh, the very staring at the the Iron Throne just to like make you go, oh, what the fuck? Except there's nothing to it. No, there's and it never comes. It, yeah, it, it, nothing comes from it. And and every to the contrary, everything that we know from prior to this episode, he doesn't want the Iron Throne. Right. So I just you know what what so if you if you're gonna go completely against what a character stood for. And then never has any payoff. Why the fuck do you have the scene? What's the uh, point? I agree. I would like an explanation. Yeah. Yes. Let's call. Okay. Let's call HBO. I'll call him right now. Okay. So Jamie goes to visit uh, Tyrion's cell. Uh, not a friendly visit this time. He's all dressed in his uh, Kingsguard uniform, and he's there to escort Tyrion to his trial. Uh, Tyrion is taken into the throne room in chains, which is Tywin's idea. Uh, Tywin, after Tyrion is brought in and stands uh, at the podium or whatever, Tommen stands and addresses the crowd, and he basically pulls a Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the third and recuses himself from the proceedings, which is it seems odd, but I guess he's a child, and this was all obviously talked about beforehand because he names three judges to act in his stead. 
and it seemed like this decision was made a long time ago. And the three judges are Tywin, Oberyn, and Mace. Um, so they begin the questioning immediately, and the questioning starts off simply, did you do it? And he's like, nope. Uh, then we get a long line of people telling stories about Tyrion telling, talking shit about Joffrey. Uh, it starts off with uh, Marion Trant, and it's Pycelle, Cersei, and Varys. I'll go into a little more detail. Uh, so Marion Trant talks about, uh, you know, a, a time where, I don't know, he basically threatened the king, and it was during the, the time that uh, Joffrey was having Marion Trant uh, rip her clothes off and beat Sansa, which was, you know, obviously... Yeah, it wasn't nice on his part. So Joffrey was being a monster, but it doesn't matter because Tyr- Tyrion actually did say some sketchy shit about wanting to kill the king. Then uh, Ty- Pycelle mentions that all his poisons were taken uh, and that Joffrey was definitely killed by poison. Um, and then they also found the body of Dantos Hollard, uh, who had on him the necklace that contained the strangler stones on him. And he's just like, yeah, these stones came from my store, which I'm just like, wait a minute. We'll talk about this in a second, but somebody took poison from uh, Pycelle's bedroom or whatever and then made it into a necklace. That's a little weird and strange, <laughs> but we'll get there. Uh, and then we move on. Uh, and he's, yeah, he says it was a strangler. Then we get Cersei testifying against Tyrion about how he wanted uh, basically her to her joy to turn to ashes in his mouth. Basically, uh, she said that he wanted revenge because she discovered that he was uh, keeping a whore in the Tower of the Hand. Um, let alone didn't mention the fact that she was torturing that whore, um, which was at the time Roz. Um, yes. Yeah. But Tyrion obviously didn't like it because it was too close to Shay for his liking. Uh, then we also get Varys and this is the one that hits close to home. He talks, he tells them about what he said. So all these people are just basically relating stories about Tyrion running off at the mouth, but, you know, it's incriminating, and it was the whole time. Like, the things they're saying were like, oh, yeah, he did say that. Oh, yeah, he did do that. So it's just funny that, like, out of context, you know, people can railroad you pretty easily. Um, yeah, I mean, and he definitely was defiant to Joff. I mean, he was the only person who really was, and uh, I think a neutral third party would say he was right in every single one of the, uh, the, the interactions, but you can't do that to the king, at least in this that society. Well, you could do that with the king if people were taking into account the context. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, uh, you're right, but but they but they expressly ignored the context. Yes, that's yes. So, absolutely. like, I feel like if the, it wouldn't excuse Tyrion's action, it would have mitigated them a little bit, I would think, right? Yeah, and also, I mean, all of the things at least have some basis in truth. Um, yeah. Whereas, say, Cersei later just outright fabricates things. I mean, Shay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The Shea, yeah, we'll get to Shea, but that is pure fabrication, and that that damns him. Yes. But, but uh, yeah, after all this, they uh, take a break for lunch, and the bells will toll. I don't know why they had this throwing the stupid bells thing, but um, but yeah, uh, it's just you know the 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 trial's not going well. Everybody's mentioning the shit talk that Tyrion, in fact, did say about Joffrey, uh, and it doesn't look good. No, it's completely what we expected. It's interesting that uh, that and I we don't have any sense of how these trials are supposed to go. It is interesting that Tyrion, the only person he decides to question is Varys, and the only reason he questions Varys, it seems like, is to kind of hit back at Varys to some extent, you know, uh, because Varys, even though Varys warned him that 
he, when the time came, he would, you know, probably testify against Tyrion. He doesn't really side with anyone. Um, I think that one is the only one that actually hurt Tyrion on a personal level. Didn't even bother to question the other witnesses. I'm, I don't know if that's a function of he's not allowed to as part of these processes, or he just knows he's going to be railroaded no matter what. So what's the point on even asking any questions of these people? You know, I'm pretty sure that there's, you know, there's somebody out there who like translated Klingon. I'm pretty sure there's somebody out there in the fandom that knows a lot about Westerosi law and could probably talk about it for, I don't know, at least 15 minutes. Good God. We'll try to get that person on the podcast. That poor bastard. We'll get no, them on the let's podcast. not get them on the podcast. Let's get them some help. No way. That guy that guy is gonna be a laugh riot if we get him yeah. on. Well actually, Doug, if you look at the uh first <laughs> canon of <laughs> All right, so uh where do we go next? Next we go to Jamie and Tywin. Uh, apparently they're meeting in a in a brief 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 recess in the trial and they're in an atrium. Uh, and Tywin's just uh, having a quick nosh. Very interesting choice because uh, it shows how nonchalant Tywin is about Tyrion's trial. I mean, it's his son's trial, and he's just hanging out in probably one of the more pleasant places, just having a snack in the middle yeah, of the trial. No big deal. He's like, yeah, uh, my son might get murdered or executed. Yeah, whatever. There we go. These are some good dates. Uh, so Jamie pleads for justice. Uh, Tywin argues that justice will be done. Uh, just uh, Tywin just doesn't seem to give a shit as to whether or not Tyrion actually did it or not. Jamie brings up that Tyrion is the last uh, of Tywin's direct breeding population. Uh, otherwise, it'll be those dumb cousins. Uh, so Jamie, in exchange to try to save Tyrion, offers to leave the King's Guard if Tywin allows Tyrion to live. Tywin jumps on that offer, um, kind of to Jamie's. It seems almost Jamie's shock. Yeah. But we'll it talk seems about that like, in a second. Yeah, yeah. It's but Tywin, I, he either has this already planned out, or he is the most sharp-witted person in the world. That's that he was my assumption. <laughs> yeah, he has a plan. Uh, Tyrion is going to go to the King's Guard, the um, to Night's Watch. Jamie will go to Casterly Rock, leave the King's Guard, marry a suitable broad, and never turn his back on the family again. And um, there is kind of a look on Jamie's face. He's kind of gobsmacked. Realized, I think he realizes he was played. Yeah, and it's it's so. And then once you realize that uh, Tywin probably had this planned ahead of time, it calls mm-hmm. into question when the argument about uh, when Jamie says you're going to execute your own son. He's like, you're going to murder your own son. He's like, no, the proper punishment will be handed out. And I think if you look back and 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 take it under uh, take into mind that he was probably going to send him to the wall anyway. Uh, that that's what makes sense to me. Like you know what I mean? He he seems like his whole plan was to send him to the wall from the beginning. Yes, uh, and and I mean you would think that Tywin would, would have thought through all the potential contingencies and maybe seen this happening, or at least been mulling over this kind of scenario uh, in his mind. Um, you know, in preparation of this thing, because he knows that he should know at least that Jamie has a tender spot for Tyrion. So, um, I mean, it really makes you wonder though, if Tywin is allowing this whole farce of a trial to go forward specifically for this reason. Yeah, in order I wouldn't to put it past entice- him. Yeah. I mean, and if so, that's brilliant, uh, planning or at least allowing it to go because I, I mean, 
if but then again, if it does go forward and Jamie doesn't make this offer, he is left without a uh, a Lannister that um, without a male Lannister at that point. You know. Yeah. So that's that's my only question here is yeah. if Jamie didn't come to him and his plan was to free Ty- Tyrion or send him to the Wall anyway. Where right. was how is he going to get Jamie back? Because that that is truly his only hope. Yes, because it's absolutely. not like Tywin. It's not like Tyrion can have children and carrying on the name at the Night's Watch. So, right, right. What is his plan? I don't know. But he did jump. No, on I don't it. know. So yeah. he did jump on it. Like it, it be, based on the you know we sometimes give this show a little bit too much credit when like oh is this going to be intriguing and it usually never is. But this I feel like is intentional. As soon as Jamie gets the offer out, Tywin says done, like immediately. Yeah. So I feel yes. like it's they're they're pointing that it is obvious that Tywin knows what's going on or expected this or was planning it for the whole time. Yeah, or just I mean, let it go. Instead, I mean, in theory, he could have intervened um, and kind of derailed the whole trial um, if he wanted to, or prevented the prosecution. But I don't think he really cares about Tyrion that much anyway. So. Uh, he probably foresaw that this could have been a potential outcome, and so why not let it go forward? Because who gives a shit about Tyrion? You know? Yeah, who gives a shit about Tyrion? Uh, well, I mean, at least from the the uh, Lannister, the paterfamilias. The, so, the what? The uh, father, the father figurehead, the father, father. Yeah. Okay. Daddy, Daddy Tywin. <laughs> Daddy issues. All right. Um. So what? yeah. I don't know. I just was trying to flesh that out, and I guess it didn't work. Moving on. Uh, so the bell tolls, as we were foretold it would, and the trial uh, starts back up again. Jamie approaches Tyrion and informs him, hey, uh, just say you did it, and you go to the Night's Watch. No big deal. And Tyrion's like, wait a minute. That's the same fucking bullshit they told Ned Stark, and they ended up with the fucking head <laughs> on a stick. And Jamie's like, hey, just trust me, brah. And that's how that ends. Jamie walks away. Uh, so at this point, uh, Tywin calls the next witness and the next witness is Shay. So great. We thought we'd seen the last of her. Nope. Uh, Shay saunters into the throne room and gives testimony against Tyrion. Can you believe it? Uh, and she straight up just fucking lies. Whereas everybody else was recounting, um, you know, terrible things that Tyrion actually did and said, uh, out of context. Shay is just relating just sheer fabrication here. Um, she admits that, uh, you know, she says, how do you know the accused? And she, he's like, I was, she was like, uh, I'm the handmaid to his wife, Sansa. But then it eventually comes out that um, she was his, quote unquote, his whore. Um, and that's how she knows all these dirty details about how uh, Sansa and Tyrion conspired to kill Joffrey, for sure. Um, she originally, she says she was originally stolen from another knight within Tywin's uh, service by a cutthroat named Bronn. So that's a little bit of truth. Um, says that he shortly thereafter pronounced her as his and his alone. Uh, and I think we even made note of that uh, comment, this, that possessive love statement that he had earlier. Um, so there's all sorts of sprinkling of nuggets of truth in this blatant lie that she has, which makes it more convincing. Um Shay then goes on to say that Sansa uh, refused to give up that booty to Tyrion until he murdered Joffrey, and that was the motivation for his ultimate doing it, uh, which I found humorous, but uh, uh, whatever. Uh, The rest of the crowd is shocked by all this, uh, and then eventually Tyrion can't take it and says he wants to confess, 
Uh, but just like his previous confession at the Erie, he uses it as an um, excuse to just verbally assault everybody in the room. Uh, he bitterly says that, you know, he saved all you fucking jerks um, addressing the, the crowd. Um, and he wishes he would have let Stannis just roll right over and kill them all. Says he didn't. Um, he, he The only thing he's guilty of is being a dwarf. Um, and then he goes into this sweet, sweet, sweet fucking vitriolic just poisonous rant about how he didn't kill Joffrey, but he wished he had because watching him die was cooler than banging a thousand lying prostitutes or something along those lines. And then uh, the crowd goes nuts at this. They're all yelling and screaming. And before Tywin can uh, get get things under control, Tyrion uh, demands that he wants trial by combat and the gods are going to def- decide his fate. Uh, much to Tywin's consternation, which um, shows on his face. Yeah, I remember this uh, watching this the first time and just being absolutely shocked that Shay showed up. Uh, pretty big bombshell. I, I, I did like this. Uh, the one funny thing about this scene was uh, when she said I was his whore, Mace going, I beg your pardon? Like, <laughs> Excuse me? Fucking Mace is the greatest. Yeah. Um, I did like this scene a lot. And, and it's uh, Tyrion. I mean, obviously, uh, the dude who plays Tyrion, incredible Dinklage, actor. Yeah. Uh, very, very good dialogue. I don't know how much of it is straight from the book or how much it was written. But it was really good. The only the, the the one quibble that I have with it, it's very small, is that we've kind of already seen this in the Eerie before. I mean, Tyrion's yeah. done this same thing before. I agree. Um, yeah. And I, I I don't remember when you said how much dialogue is in the books and how much is on the show. I just don't remember. Uh, so I can't yeah. really defend uh, anything from the Eerie either because I don't, I don't remember. But yeah, this whole like... I have to confess, and then him going on a tirade. That is exactly what he did in the Eerie. And then calls for a trial by combat, yep. uh, so to the surprise of everyone in the room. But shouldn't be a surprise to us, since he did it before. But I guess... Yeah. Well, we were in the room. Um, and so I also, in preparing for this episode, I also read that the writer of this episode, um, his assumption in terms of Shay was that... Uh, you know, we were kind of surprised at how does she end up back in King's Landing after she was supposed to be on a boat. So apparently um, after Joffrey's murder, uh, Tywin yelled something along the lines of stop all the ships in the yard, or, stop all the ships at the port. So th- yeah. to the writer of the episode, he thought that the ship just happened to have been stopped by uh, the warning to stop all the ships. And he didn't think that the whole thing was a big deal. I think he's stupid on that aspect because it leaves a lot of questions as to what really did happen, you know, um, because there's a big deal. I mean, I think there's a huge difference whether she stayed despite him uh, or the implication that uh, that Tywin already knew about her and kept her around in order to prosecute him or. Yeah, I'm still I'm still befuddled about the whole thing, because uh, so, so one thing, if. If Tywin did stop all the ships from leaving, then it makes a fuckload of sense that Dantos uh, took Sansa in a rowboat out to meet uh, Littlefinger already, like, in the bay. Yeah. So, like, Littlefinger saw that coming, uh, knew he wouldn't be able to leave the dock, so he had an alternative plan to get a ship with Sansa out of there. So that makes sense. That, that tracks It does. There. It's the simplest explanation. Um, but... I did. I, I mean, I do kind of like the intrigue of whether Tywin was already on to them, and whether he was already infl- kind of infiltrating, or Cersei was on to them. I mean, yeah. And plus, it I clears it clears Braun of any wrongdoing because we're like, yes. 
did Braun actually put her on the ship? And I'm going to assume that he did and the ship was stopped. But yeah. my biggest question is the intrigue, if, if we were to accept all that, how does she end up in Tywin's bed banging Tywin? Like, is it right after know. this? And she's just like, I have no other options. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I guess she's just gravitating towards power. I, but I didn't. I think the whole point of her prior to this was that she didn't do that. She actually was in love with Tyrion. But who the fuck knows? And that's a question that maybe should have been answered on the show, I think. Right. And, and we've talked about this. In the book, it's mainly Tyrion lying to himself about Shay. Um, yes. You know, Shay is more transparently being a prostitute, and Tyrion is lying to himself about what she is more so. So her betrayal still hurts, but it's more like Tyrion. It's more like, uh, you know, it's more of Tyrion's like hatred in himself, uh, or like, you know, he's, he's self, he, he practiced some kind of self deceit. Uh, whereas in this Shay, you know, very clearly, uh, seems to be authentic in her love for Tyrion. Yeah, and which is baffling why she would yeah. turn on him like that, even regardless of the horror con. If she, if she didn't see through the horror comments after him imploring her to leave for months on end, she's just a fucking idiot. I mean, I don't know what else to, to think about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, yeah. if we find out that like they threaten to kill her, mm-hmm. um, but that would be once again, if she really loved him, wouldn't she die? Uh, yeah, so well, it doesn't make a whole or, lot of or sense. Or Tywin threatened to kill her with some good ass sex. <laughs> Slayer. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay, so that's that. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. A very <laughs> uneven episode, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, trial saved it. If the trial and the intervening scene in the atrium hadn't happened, uh, this would have been in the running for probably bottom five, definitely bottom ten. All right, so I'm going to give it a uh, 2.5 because I think it's middle of the road. I think that as bad as the uh, show invention crap with the... Um, the Dreadfort and Yara and Theon, I think it was saved by uh, Dinklage's uh, fucking acting. And and really, that's all that really... Ha- like, does anything of consequence happen this episode? Besides really. the trial? No. No. Um, no. And, okay, uh, Stannis gets money from the Iron Bank, but we don't even see how that kind of plays out. I guess, you know, he's able to then go to the wall uh, later. <laughs> I, I dragons are getting unruly. Yeah, I don't know. And we we're introduced to uh, Hisdar. Uh, yeah, uh, not a whole lot happens, but uh, yeah. Uh, but it's still, I think. But to be fair, that the trial, uh, the trial, and the build up and the lead up. That I mean, that's absolutely critical to the show. I, I mean, agree. So, I mean, you can almost view this as like a Blackwater type episode or a hard home where um, there is some filler around a an absolutely pivotal part of the story and i like how it's mostly character driven if you're you're being very generous you are being very generous but you're right it is pivotal pivotal uh but it's not action based like uh blackwater it's it's character based and and if you don't have good actors this could have been like awful but uh thankfully they did dinklage fucking nailed it so uh Mm -hmm. and shay wasn't terrible but you know she's like arnold schwarzenegger in the terminator you say like three lines and you're a hero just don't overdo it. Um, so uh, I'm going to give it a 2.5. Yeah, I, I'd probably lean closer to a two, but I'm in, in the same neighborhood as you. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna split the difference, and since we can't do that, we're gonna just say 2.5. All 
All right. Um, thank you guys for uh, joining us. Uh, we were supposed to have Jermaine on um, because, what? well, Jermaine actually went to this bullshit cash grab that's called like an evening with uh, Game of Thrones music where you go and you sit in a seat and they put orchestra there and they play songs oh, they, from the show. Oh, did they put orchestra there? They put, they put orchestra, orchestra? there. <laughs> and, they put orchestra? And they have like, uh, from what I've heard from other people, they have like pyrotechnics to make orchestra cool and you pay like $50, $60 to see orchestra. I hope uh, Jermaine didn't get great whited during that. <laughs> I wish he did. <laughs> and by the way, if you guys don't know about the Great White Tragedy, uh, this shitty band from the 80s, Great White, played you know. a shitty show in like Connecticut and the whole place burned down, killing how many people? I don't recall. A lot of people burned to death. <laughs> but it's a good basis for a joke, so. It was hilarious. Jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry I said that. All right, guys. Great White. Uh, and if there's nothing else, um, we will see you next Tuesday, and I'm going to play you off. Drum solo. I don't know if I'm going to leave any of